amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Love Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the talk. Good morning and welcome to Live Dharma Sunday for December 29th, 2019. Koyo here, so very, very glad you joined us. Thank you for your patience. I just walked in the door, and uh, this is the last show of this decade, 2019. <laughs> well, it's nice to have these kinds of uh, reminders of Time's going by, and generations, and uh, that's why in um, uh, home altars, Buddhist altars for sure, maybe at some temple altars too, yeah, temple altars, um, they have uh, maybe offerings uh, of respect. And sometimes if it's like three rice cakes, they'll pile them on top of each other, the big one on the bottom, medium, little, or maybe even oranges if they're different sizes. They have a bigger one, and then the next side, then a smaller one on top. Usually it's three items. And I read someplace that um, this signifies the generations. Huh? Um, and I would imagine that what a teaching there is that uh, say you're the top item and then there's a little bigger one under you and then a bigger one under that one. Um, what's holding you up is larger than you. <laughs> and um, uh, bigger base. And you can imagine that there's uh, 
a broad, very solid, expansive foundation holding us up. Okay, the prior generation and the prior generations. Um, so this is why a lot of uh, religious symbols had these kinds of teachings. Uh, I remember at our home temple in Chicago, uh, very typically they had uh, kind of a, it's a mobile type, it's a long column hanging down of metal, very lightly thin metal, sort of discs, I guess, but decorative. And even they might have eight or nine strands hanging down, and they're all very uh, thin and uh, size of a maybe silver dollar or something like that. And then at the bottom, there there's the one central uh, line that holds maybe a candle holder. Um, and you can light that, or sometimes nowadays they have a electric light that looks like a candle flame and these are uh, going from the ce- from the top of the ceiling in the altar area down to about eye level and if you touch one of those mobile type uh, of metallic discs uh, others will move too that's that's it's like a, a ordinary mobile you know, it's uh, they're all suspended on very thin wire or something. And if you touch one or the wind moves one, the others move to interdependency. Huh? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, you, you influence something here and it's not in isolation. That's not the way the world is okay? in many, many aspects. Uh, and for when we feel that we're self-contained, isolated unto ourselves, uh, we get into a lot of trouble, <laughs> whether it's praise or blame. You have to keep going. Part of keep going is uh, interdependency. Things are constantly changing, and you have to move. You have to flow uh, with this constant change. Otherwise, then you're out of touch with what's going on. So these are some teachings that it behooves us, especially at the end of the year when we sort of review in our minds everything that happened. And not so much what we accomplished, uh, but what happened to us, both good and bad. And even though we did work hard, okay, is very small compared to the big bases, the big base that we're standing on, our foundation. Okay? That's very broad, the prior generations that influenced us. So uh, I think about that when I think at the end of the year, and um, this is what the time when they make mo- mochi in Japanese culture. Rice, po- uh, rice cake that's pounded and made into, they call it a rice cake, but it's not really sweet unless you, add, uh, uh, dip it in some kind of sweet sauce, but it's rice that's pounded. It's called mochi, okay? And they roll it out into a circular, you know, size, and then 
It's put, it could be put into soups or could be mixed with soy sauce and sugar. That's quite common. Or some kind of a sweet powder. And then you, you eat this uh, mochi. Okay. And that's very traditionally done at the end of the year. All the families get together or, or it's done in the village. And a lot of Buddhist, Japanese Buddhist temples, all of them observe this mochi tsuki. Mochi tsuki. Tsuki means to make, to make time of mochi. It's very festive. Huh? People are uh, all working together to pound this mochi, okay? especially cooked rice. Okay? And it's pounded in a, usually in a large stone mortar. And they have these uh, wooden mallets, big ones. You gotta use two hands to pop, hit the hit the rice mass inside that metal mortar, and two people are usually doing it at the same time, alternating, boom, 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 okay. And then when it gets to the right consistency and it's pounded up, then it's they they, they take little pieces of, off of it and they shape it up and and so forth. Very traditional. Um, Ritual at the end of the year. Well, okay, I've been rambling now, and I'd like to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, Ray Ikariyo, part of our LM11 group. And he had said that he really likes uh, the light. And so, you know, sun, wisdom, light. And uh, so I gave him the Dharma name, Hikari, which means light. A ray of light, Hikari. Huh? And then, of course, our Yo is our, our sun. So you can imagine kind of in, an image in your mind of the sun and, you know, how sometimes you could really see the rays coming from the sun, whether it's the type that's depicted in a Renaissance painting or something. But you see that ray, a sun, a ray of sunshine, huh? Uh, and that's his name, first name too, given name Ray. Huh? So he cut a, a ray of a ray of wisdom in this dark world. And uh, let's hear from Ray Hikariyo. Hello, this is uh, Sensei Ray Hakiro Greer. The Dharma talk I've decided to uh, metaphorically dive into today is emptiness. Well, soon after I decided to plummet headfirst into the vast ocean of emptiness, and I finally came up for air, I looked around and I immediately discovered that I had actually surfaced in the tumultuous waves and foggy mist in a sea of confusion. The conundrum one experiences while treading water in the sea of confusion is the realization that searching for the treasure of emptiness is literally like grabbing handfuls of water and watching it slip through your fingers. Because once you try to discover the meaning of emptiness by attaching words to it, you lose the understanding of its essential essence. The quintessential nature of emptiness becomes obscured by the veil of biases, prejudices, and the labels and attributes our culture, society, and our tribe have described to us. What I do know about emptiness is that it has nothing to do with lack, or void, or oblivion, or non-existence. 
and it has everything to do with no thingness. The dilemma one faces when attempting to navigate the waters of emptiness in search of the jewel of significance contained in its meaning is that mere words can't define or describe it. Paintings can't capture the soul of it, and music can't convey the solace it can bring to one's life. The best one can do to truly fathom the depth, meaning, and magnitude of emptiness is to meditate on the intrinsic nature and the indisputable qualities of it. When one launches the good ship of the mind on its maiden voyage to discover the hidden treasures buried in the meaning of emptiness, you've booked passage on a never-ending odyssey of exploration that will inevitably bring you back to the same state of mind you had when you began your quest. What changed between the time you embarked on a voyage of exploration and discovery and the time you disembarked? You brought back the gift of understanding and the realization that the present moment is the only time, right here is the only place, and that mindful awareness and meditation are the keys required to unlock the secret hidden inside the treasure chest of emptiness. Then, when you finally turn the key, open the lid, and gaze into the darkness, what do you find? Emptiness. Suddenly, you awaken to the realization that the precious jewel you sought is the love that exists in the homey emptiness between the four walls of your house. It's the bounty that fills the empty cavity of the vessel, not the vessel itself. The power and eloquence of music flows out of the empty silence that exists between the notes. Emptiness is the pause before and the silence after each breath and every heartbeat. The genesis of light comes out of the fertile, dark emptiness of the universe. Our so-called physical bodies and even our ethereal beingness are literally comprised of more emptiness than physicalness. Emptiness emancipates the mind when one fully understands the impermanence of all mental states and comes to the realization that this world is empty of self. In other words, all things and events, whether material, mental, or abstract concepts like time, are impermanent and empty. Then, perhaps one day, through mindful meditation and mental cultivation, one can see through the illusion of permanence, of the unchanging, and the independent apparitions of the self. Maybe then we can learn to dwell in the wondrous world of emptiness and the liberation of no-self-awareness. The Heart Sutra articulates it this way. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Emptiness is not separate from form. 
And form is not separate from emptiness. Whatever is form is emptiness. Whatever is emptiness is form. Sensei Kabo said, Emptiness is also called the doctrine of impermanence. This is the essence of the whole universe. It is the essence of our lives. In conclusion, to immerse oneself in the fathomless ocean of emptiness and to bathe in the sea of no-thingness is seen through the illusion of an independent self and awakening to the calm, warm, amniotic swells of impermanence and the waves of interconnectedness. Thank you. Thank you very much. As I listen to the words, concepts, ideas, uh, I, I since the analogy or metaphor of emptiness is compared to ocean or the water, um, I couldn't help thinking about uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Ken Tanaka's, one of his books called Ocean. And the reason he chose that title, and I believe the cover had a picture of a, uh, a sailor that was thrown into the ocean, and uh, he's trying to make it to shore, save himself. Um, uh, and how might, what is the best way for his survival in the in the ocean, um, you might swim toward where you think the land is. Swimming will will tire you out. Hmm? Uh, he said, after you <laughs> get over the initial panic of being, being in the ocean, uh, you find that since the ocean is salty, it will it will support you if you don't struggle around so much move around if you relax and uh you 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 discover that you have some buoyancy because of the nature of the ocean and you do not have to tread water and spend energy and get all tired out trying to tread water and keep yourself uh afloat and he was saying that this ocean is well, uh, the whole universe is supporting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, <clears throat> uh, the idea of uh, nothing, having nothing to hang on to, you know, There's no there's no uh, logs or rafts or boats around in the ocean, okay, uh, in the water of emptiness. Uh, <clears throat> another thing that uh, I was reminded of is that uh, water itself is uh, formless when you think about it. Um, some Buddhist writers have talked about 
water as a uh, use it as to comparable to representing emptiness. No form. No form. It always takes the form of a container. Or even if water spilled on a on a tabletop, it has form, random form of the puddle. There's always some kind of form that it expresses itself and that it exists in this world. But water itself doesn't have its own form. So that idea of like be like water uh, as analogy for self, uh, be yourself means being so perfectly empty that you can receive what's going on in the present moment. Wow, this is where it gets a little, I won't say tricky, but the philosophical implications of this uh, crux, core of Eastern philosophy and Buddhist teachings in particular, you know, uh, because, and this is important in the sense that we as human beings and as in materialistic Western culture, we always think about things. Okay. We don't see space or emptiness. We see things in space. Oh, hey, look at this is the cup. Oh, look at that nice house. You know, objects, material objects. And part of the teaching in the East is that, you know what's, so, what's uh, really the significant thing about the functionality of a cup or a house? It's the empty space inside. It's the rooms that are formed by the four walls that you live in. The important thing about a cu- cup is the empty space inside that you could put your hot tea in. Uh, and uh, this is the contents of reality that, that that emptiness is essential for it to be manifested in the universe. And this is why sometimes when we think about what what is reality, sometimes we forget that emptiness is sort of the the foundation or the core uh, that everything comes from because it's sort of like an empty canvas if you just limit it to a a narrow example of a painting, say. Okay. Something could be drawn on that empty canvas. It could be a Rembrandt. It could be a child scribbling. Whatever is going to appear can appear because of the emptiness of that canvas. It has potential for for whatever is any kind of drawing, scribbling, masterpiece. And those things occur uh, in a present moment. This is what's going on. And then after a little while, it's another present moment. Something else is going on. Things are happening 
in this world, in this universe. And I remember, you know, uh, I was asked once at, at a, it was a more well, seminar, I guess. And uh, one questioner said, asked me, what is the Buddhist anchor? I had never been asked that kind of a question in that form, you know. What is a what is a major teaching or something? It's quite common, but what is the Buddhist anchor? And uh, what came out of my mouth was, I said, the present moment. Uh, and the and the question the the person who asked the question kind of nodded. In fact, this was a a, a group of about 20, 30 Presbyterian ministers. It was, a, uh, you know, she, she was coming from a pretty high place, I think, as a questioner. And I just said something like present moment. So I was wondering whether that was why I said that and what if it was accurate, if it was meaningful or not. Because okay? I didn't, you know, there's no elaboration on it. And as I was driving home, I was thinking about this and I said present moment. The more I thought about it, I said, hey, that's not a bad answer. What's our anchor? This present moment. Somehow that sounds too secular, sounds too kind of shallow, kind of, you know. It needs a lot of unpacking. And I think the kind of unpacking it needs is what was being addressed today in terms of emptiness. Uh, And in fact, I always admire what D.T. Suzuki, who quoted Meister Eckhart, a Christian mystic, very famous person, who who always talked about oneness, talked about emptiness within the Christian context of the dualism between man and God. They try to, mystics try to break through that to the core of religious experience not concepts, thinking, philosophies, ideas. And Meister Eckhart has quoted uh, in D.T. Suzuki's works, this is the first I ever got exposed to this Christian mystics in terms of their, you know, scholarly writings and what they're trying to, trying to show to improve the presentation of their religious philosophy. And Meister Eckhart would say something like, you know the I that's talking to fellow Christians, do you know that the I that which you see God and the I which the God sees you, it's the same I, E-Y-E. And he says things like, uh, you should empty yourself. Oh, they hear that word. Empty yourself of God. Then God has more room to work in you. Oh, I love that quote and its implications. Instead of always talking about, thinking about God, empty yourself of God. Empty, then God has more room to work in. It's like, well, This has a lot to do with negation. Negate the idea, the concept of God. 
Let just the workings work. Do its work, man. Flow with it. If so, in a way, it's it's a criticism of always thinking about God. And when you think about God, you think about God, your relationship to God. You think they say, "Oh, God's love," huh? uh, you know, and that you should love God too. That's that's a real dualistic expression, a subject object, right? I love God. God is so great. Praise God. And then Christian mystics from within their own tradition, mystics like the Meister Eckhart and others, say, hey, it, it, it stop, uh, stop praising God. Stop saying, I love God. Huh? Because the more you do that, the more you're alienated from God. Okay? I love God. Okay? Subject, object. You just live. Sometimes my example might be like, more secular example might be, you know, spouses, the husband and wife. And if the husband always is saying to every, telling everybody, hey, you know, I really love my wife. Hey, you know, I love you. I love you. If he's doing that too much, don't you think people might get suspicious? How come he has to be reminding his wife or telling everybody that he loves his wife? That's, 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 <clears throat> uh, well, I don't want to call it superficial or, you know, something that's, uh, when you're really in, in love, let's say, okay, you're one with. There's no subject hyphen object. Okay. Whenever you, you know, there, the reality is oneness okay, is beyond the conceptualization. So those things are kind of the crux of uh, Eastern philosophy in general and Buddhism in particular and the Dharma, you know. And uh, sometimes when you get on this topic, yeah, unless you, uh, it's easy to get lost. Okay? And when they talk about Emptiness, they say absolute emptiness. That's why they have the word absolute there, and that's why they put a capital E when they spell emptiness. They're not talking about empty versus full. Uh And they're not talking about when they use the capital N for nothingness. It's not nothingness compared to somethingness. Uh When they talk about complete absolute negation, not that, not that, not that. This is pretty deep Eastern philosophy. Yeah. <clears throat> Instead of being mentioning things or attributes, additives of something you're trying to describe. Yeah. God is this, God is that, God is that. What? The the Eastern approach is negation. No, it's not that, not just that, not just that, not just that. Yeah. <clears throat> um And then the, the, the kind of a crazy expression is, you know, absolute negation means you negate negation too. Oh man, now I know 
sometimes these kinds of expressions are turn people off sometimes when they're not real they don't appreciate or understand the point that's being made here and they think it's all oh, this is just some kind of a play on words and you know why don't they talk straight okay. you want to understand something okay. uh so that's why it's a challenge that's why it's a challenge well i rambled on today uh, and I hope I will leave all this rambling behind in this past uh, decade that's coming to a close. And I will always try to be living fresh in the present moment in the new year. And that's all for today's broadcast. And until next time, indeed, we will keep going and we'll have a beautiful day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.